JTEC Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. It's America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. And now, here are your hosts, Tom Bastak and Mike Jacobs. Hello, everyone, and welcome in. It is America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. I'm one of the game show guys, Tom Bastak. And I'm the other game show guy, Mike Jacobs. Tom, I'm going to be fully honest with you. This was the first episode I was not terribly excited about doing. <laughs> you know what, Mike? I'm, I couldn't agree more. You know, at first <laughs> I thought, oh, well, one of us is really going to like this show, and the other one's really going to hate this show, and we're going to have a huge dichotomy here, and we both are just not fans of the show. Not not a fan. But it's okay because, you know, the truth is, is that just because we're not a fan doesn't mean that other people aren't fans of the show. I mean, obviously there are. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the thing at the end of the day. This is just our opinions. And if you like the show, I mean, that's awesome. We're not we're, we're not dogging on anybody here. But no. uh, for what I'm looking for in a show, this is not hitting any of my sweet spots. You know, and I am the show guy. I'm not the game guy necessarily. You're more the game guy than than I am. But sure. this, this to me, just doesn't have a mass appeal. But it, it's okay. We'll talk more about that when we get to ratings. Uh, I want to say thanks to everybody who uh, listened in last week. I was expecting more guesses on the Audible Rebus we threw in uh, at the very end of the episode, and we didn't get very many guesses. Oh, man, I, t- I actually totally forgot about we even did that. It took me so long to come up with how to do it, and then forgot it even happened. <laughs> <laughs> do like the Rebuses, though. It's great. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, um, so this is the, if, if anybody's wondering why, it may sound a little echoey in um, in my my portion of the world here. It's because I'm actually uh, broadcasting today, as it is broadcasting today. I'm recording today from a closet because we're in the process of a move and I lost my office. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, yeah, so this will be the last episode that uh, is recorded in solely in Atlanta. Uh, soon will be a uh, tri-state uh, because if we count, we've count Christian coming from Pennsylvania. I'll be coming from North Carolina, and you'll be coming from Georgia. Yes, indeed, tri-state podcasting. Love oh, it. Oh, I I love it. And that, those are the only three states that are going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. As we saw on the uh, Spotify Wrapped in on Spotify alone, we are a quad country podcast. Yeah, just four four countries in, in from Spotify. But I mean, it's a lot more than that. Uh, if you if we dive deep into our analyzing, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm speaking simply of. Of, yeah, of some Spotify, some countries so. I've never heard of. <laughs> right? <laughs> craziness. Absolute craziness. Who knew oh. hosting a game show podcast would also result in geography lessons? You know, uh, I'm, we, we learn something every week, though, don't we? That's, that is very true. We do. All right. Well, let's learn about the news. It's time. Are you ready? Let's go into the news. Light up your cigarette, crack open a beer, put the kiddos to bed. From chaos around the world to carnage in your very old front yard, it's time for the news. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Mike. This is the news brought to you by buzzerblog.com. I'm Christian Carrion. So the biggest story this week, and this is one I'm going to speak off the top of my head about because I'm so excited. The rumors came true. We have a 24-hour Bob Barker Price is Right channel on Wait, Pluto what? TV. Twenty-four. Listen, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they started with the early 80s episodes, which in my opinion... Uh, Bob Barker was at his peak 
in like the early 80s or so. Just something about the show. It was such a well-oiled machine and he was so smooth and so fast. You know, one of the uh, one of the strengths of Bob Barker as a host was his ability to time the show in his head. They say a host has to be a producer on stage. And that's one of the things he did incredibly well. He just knew when to have a lot of fun with the contestant and when to speed it up so that they would end right on time every episode. He was so good at that. And as a result, you just get this unbelievable smoothness. I mean, Bob Barker has not been on TV in 13 years, which is incredible to think about. But, you know, he's back on he's back on the screen and it's like it's like he never left. And, you know, Drew Carey is doing a great job right now making the show his own. But there's just no denying how good Bob Barker is. So, yeah, 24 hours a day. um, What they're doing and I don't know that they've officially announced this yet, but what I've noticed they're doing is they show eight episodes a day and they repeat that block three times a day. So any day you can watch eight straight hours of classic CBS Bob Barker Price is Right and it is glorious. It's beautiful. Uh, Christian, confirm or deny they are not allowed to air episodes where uh, a fur coat is given out per Bob Barker's orders? That is true. Yeah, part of his various contracts with you know and it used to be a contract with game show network but they let that lapse back in the early 2000s and um the head of cbs at the time when drew carey first took over uh sort of vowed that no bob barker episodes would be rerun while the current version is in production um but yeah there there is a stretch of episodes that aren't allowed to be re-aired because they gave away fur coats on the show um bob barker huge animal activist uh definitely became more so late in his life after the passing of his wife and it's interesting that those episodes contain some pricing games that will just never be seen the lifespan of those games fell right in that in that uh stretch of time that they're not allowed to re-air so there are some games like the shower game that we'll never see i don't know the shower game what's that all about the shower game okay the shower game was the biggest game they had ever built for the show so there are Imagine this. There are six shower stalls with double doors on each one. Each one has the possible price of a car on it. You guess which one is the right price. You go in, you pull the handle on the shower, and you get a big car key. If you, uh, if you pull the handle and you get confetti... You get to try again. You get I, I, like you get to go into another shower. But then there's a couple that just have a hundred dollar bill in them, um, and it, it's an it was an incredible game. Again, massive set, and I seem to remember that they stopped playing it because there were some concerns about racial or ethnic sensitivity, telling the wrong person to go take a shower. Just kind of played wrong, so they wow. stopped playing the game. But okay. unbelievably beautiful game. Well, and I'll say, you know, uh, racial sensitivity aside, it's it sounds like just a bizarre game. And, like, if I were in charge of, like, hey, we need to thin out the show a little bit, I'd be like, uh, how about that shower one? Right. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And, you know, and, of course, it doesn't fit in with any of the games that are played now, you know. So I don't know how long it would Right, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, but... It feels just like such an out-of-the-left-field thing. It's weird. Well, the late 70s, especially for The Price is Right, I'll, I'll talk about The Price is Right in particular. The late 70s was a huge sort of uh, growth period. Um, you had a guy named Jay Wolpert, who was one of the producers of the show. He came up with the idea of presenting the showcases at the end of the show as like a skit. 
So there would be a, a, a script and a sort of narrative as they're as they're, uh, you know, revealing all these prizes. He was the first one to, to, to come up with that idea to make the showcase itself like a, a, a sort of a piece of entertainment. A big, a big to do, if you will. E- exactly. And uh, he left the show, created a couple of other shows. Hitman was one of them, which we talked about last week or the week right. before. Um, became most famous for writing the screenplay for the film The Count of Monte Cristo. So he did pretty well for himself after the price is right all right well uh what about this week in game show history well this week in game show history we are going back to december 7th 1942 the one-year anniversary of of pearl harbor the one-year anniversary of pearl harbor and also the birth of one of my favorite hosts somebody i grew up with and idolized when i was younger probably the first game show host i ever really thought of that way though i just he was he was just a hero of mine uh peter tamarkin so peter tamarkin was known as most famously as the host of press your luck on cbs in the mid 80s uh hosted a couple of other shows we talked about hitman a couple of weeks ago um he hosted a show called wipeout a trivia show which is, has no relation to the stunt show of today um just a really fun sort of general knowledge uh quiz show what i really liked about wipeout was that you didn't have to have a huge bank of knowledge in order to in order to do well the main conceit of the game was they would give you 16 answers on a board 12 of them would be right four of them would be wrong they would be wipeouts and you just have to pick the right answers from the wrong ones really fun to play um lasted a good 15 years or so um in england as a as a show on the bbc but yeah peter tamarkin um Unbelievable. Started as an editor for Women's Wear Daily and was an anchor on, uh, I think it was Playboy After Dark, their news segment, um, and then made the switch to game shows. His first uh, national exposure was Hitman on NBC, followed by Press Your Luck for three years until 86, hosted Wipeout for a year, uh, hosted a sort of Price is Right ripoff called Bargain Hunters for a little while. Let me tell you, uh, Christian, thank you for that. Now, you bring us always these amazing tidbits from history that we love so much but this week mike are we ready we are ready all right we're going to stomp the chump well i've you know our track record's not so good so i'm not i'm not optimistic but we'll (laughs) see what happens speak for yourself can we take it back let's let's just take it back hang on mike are you ready i am ready we're going to stomp the job. All right, we'll see what happens. Oh God! Okay. No, 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 no! Stop. That's I, the listen, best catchphrase for this segment I've ever heard. Ah, <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Listen, Christian, even though he's beaten us down week after week, like, we still have to have some sort of some sort of je ne sais quoi to make sure that he. That he can't do it this week. So here we go one more time. Mike, are you ready? I am ready. We are going to stump the chump. Let's do it, Christian. This is it. We've got it. Here we go. We've got it. I hope I can get this one. Here's what we want. (laughs) Uh, It's not so much as a question as it is a demand for you. Okay. And I I like it. I I need the name of five. Count them five television, five television shows that were hosted. I'm sorry, not hosted, filmed in the Bob Barker studio. But I will not let you use The Price is Right as one of your five. Okay. I like it. I well, like it. Okay. Okay. Oh okay. I hope I can do this. Oh, stop uh, now. Okay. All right. Well, see, He's the thing is there were so now. many. 
there were so many more than five game shows taped in the Bob Barker studio. So originally, wait, 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 wait. do you have do you have like like ten that you can name? Let me see. Can I do, hang on? Let's can let's I can it. I name this tune in ten notes? I, I you know what? <laughs> I bet. I bet I, I could at ahead. least give it a try. You think you can get ten ten shows that were filmed there? Ten shows altogether. Are we including non game shows or is this just game shows? Uh, well, as it's written, submitted to us, it just says television shows. It does not specify game shows. So, uh, yeah, I'll accept anything that was filmed in Bob Barker studio. Let's All do right, it. here we go. Okay, and we're not including The Price is Right, so that's off the list. So we're Correct. starting right, at zero. It's done. It's okay. Done. So the uh, version of Card Sharks in the late '80s with Bob Eubanks as host that was in Studio 33. That that was also the Bob Barker studio. So I'll use those interchangeably. Sure. 33 is the Bob Barker studio. Yes. So we got Card Sharks. At the or at around the same time they were filming Card Sharks, they were also doing Family Feud with Ray Holmes. That was in 33. And uh, later in the 80s, Two. maybe even into the early 90s, uh, Studio 33 was home to Wheel of Fortune. Um, and uh, Pat Sajak was hosting that. And then Bob Gowen from Entertainment Tonight was hosting it for a while in that studio. Um, three! Three. Uh $100,000 Pyramid with Dick Clark. They actually built a uh, a sort of runway in the middle of kind of where contestants row is. They extended that out uh, to uh, to fit one of the cameras that they used for that show. So $100,000 Pyramid. Four. Uh, now you see it, the word search game from the 70s with Jack Nars as host. He was doing that around the same time he was doing Concentration in the uh, mid-70s. That was in Studio 33. Five. Double Dare with Alex Trebek in 76. That was in 33. That was in, yep, Studio 33. Six. Uh, if we're talk, if we're going to talk about non-game shows, the Carol Burnett show was famously filmed in Studio 33. I think she was more famous for being in that studio uh, even before The Price is Right was around. Seven. What do you got for seven? Uh, so for number seven... Uh, actually, Real Time with Bill Maher is, is in uh, Studio 33 right now. Um, and they share that space with The Price is Right currently. Wow. Okay. Okay, yeah. great. So, they're, they're, God, that's got to be a big soundstage. You're doing Price is Right with three huge parts of that stage and Bill Maher in there. Okay, go ahead. All right. And then let's see. I don't know if this counts. You let me know if it counts or not. But the one of the original pilot episodes for the current version of Let's Make a Deal was filmed on the same set as The Price is Right in Studio 33 because they had the three big doors. And I think that it just sort of lent itself really well to that. Mike, I what do you think? Well, uh, so I will, again, go by the exact wording of the the question, which is just TV shows. Doesn't say they had to air. Didn't say it couldn't be pilots. That's all that's sounds true. fair to me. So Okay, so that's eight. Congratulations, Christians. You're eight in. You've got two to go. All right, and let's see. Where are we at here? I'm pretty sure Press Your Luck taped a few episodes in 33. They were, uh, I believe... In, in in Studio 31, which is in the same building, but I think that for a while they did some in 33 as well. All right. And then last but not least, if you get 10 in a row, what do you got? Well, last but not least, and they did this in, in Studio 33 for close to a decade, but uh, Match Game in the 70s, that was... Absolutely filmed in 33. Uh, I think for a couple of episodes, they were in a different studio. But for the majority of the nine years it was on CBS, that was a Studio 33 production in CBS Television City in Hollywood. And that's 10. Wow. Oh, Michael, we suck. I mean, not only did we not, we double didn't stop the Trump. I, I answered double. Does that mean I'm off next week? 
No, that doesn't mean you're off. All, all it means is that uh, next week we're going to make it even tougher. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when you get a chance, drop us a line via uh, social media or email and give us your question that we could stump the chump with. We've had, uh, Christian, I've got to let you know, we've already had the, the, the ask of us if we would do a whole stump the chump episode. I might have to have an extra bowl of Wheaties, but I'd be down for it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I totally and completely love that. All right. So uh, that being said, this week we're doing deal or no deal. Your thoughts and and your your stories. What have we got? What do you have for us on deal or no deal, Christian? Sure. Well, deal or no deal, one of my favorite game shows of all time. Now, first of all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Stop. Everybody, we're just going to we're going to take it back. Really? One of your favorite game shows of all time? (laughs) Deal or no deal took the idea of the money or the box, this kind of conceit that you've seen in so many shows like uh, Let's Make a Deal, Treasure Hunt, and they really just expanded it to this immense scale. Um, you know, originally, the the host of the American version, Howie Mandel, didn't want to host the show, didn't think it would be successful. But the producers of the show who had him first in line, you know, on their list uh, to right. be the host of the American version, made a version of the game on a big piece of cardboard, printed everything out at Kinko's, glued it together, brought it to his house, and had him play the game on this giant piece of cardboard. And from that demonstration, uh, they they got him. They got him hook, line, and sinker, and he, and, he, and he hosted the show. Complete revitalization of Howie Mandel's career. You know, he was a stand-up in the 80s, had shows like Bobby's World, you know, the cartoon show in the 90s. Right, right. Just reached a whole new level of popularity with Deal or No Deal. Um, they did a syndicated version that was on during the day. Originally, Arsenio Hall was scheduled to host that, but I think they must have... <laughs> right, dog, dog pound it all. And um, I think they must have reached some sort of contract thing with Howie where he hosted both but it would would have been interesting to see how uh, how arsenio would have handled a game show he'd be a um, good game show host i think yeah i think so too he's very he's very personable i think he would yeah. have done a great job with the contestants i agree especially I a show s- like that where you know all the contestants seem to have some sort of backstory something that that something to relate them to the home viewer so i think he would have done well with that true so i grew up in connecticut uh for most of my life i lived in pennsylvania now for about five or six years, but Connecticut is where I spent most of my time. And uh, I, I liked to deal or no deal when it first started. I'm not the I'm not the biggest fan of it these days, only because I think that uh, the game show itself has been done in a much more cohesive and fun way than they do it. I, you know, there's right. nothing against right. the show itself. I'm right. glad I'm glad it's around, but I, I really liked it when it first started. I was fascinated by it, and they uh taped the syndicated version i believe they did that in hollywood for a while where they did or or burbank rather at nbc where they did the uh uh, the network version so imagine my surprise when to save on uh the tax credits offered to film and television productions they moved deal or no deal to waterford connecticut in the middle of the woods, there was a oh, big dude, giant Waterford, TV. Connecticut. There's nothing in Waterford, There's Connecticut. nothing. But for a little while, there was Deal or No Deal. The actual <laughs> show was taped in Waterford, Connecticut. And I got to see it. I got to be in the audience for a couple of episodes. It was really? unbelievably nice. exciting. Yeah, so the way they did the daytime version, instead of models holding the cases, every 
case was held by a potential contestant. So at the, begin- at the beginning of the game, they spun a wheel with all the numbers, 1 to 26 on it. Whatever number the ball landed on in that wheel, that person with that number would come down, that was their case. So having the other contestants open the cases for the player, there was this almost sense of family among the contestants and it was really cool to see you know it was a different dynamic than it was between like a contestant and you know 26 supermodels right Um, the original uk version does it that way where if you're a contestant on the show you're on stage holding your box until you get picked at random to play the game if you don't get picked you stay on the set until you're picked there were some contestants that had been on there for weeks or months and hadn't gotten picked yet and as a result you get this thing where like once they get picked, like you're going to miss them. They've been on the show for weeks and weeks and weeks. That to me is, was an interesting dynamic, but to see that in person was incredible. And then the banker, the banker plays it to the hilt. I remember once the taping ended, um, the banker had to leave the studio and uh, they kind of cued him for like a round of applause. Said, Here's our banker. Everyone he came down, he threw his trench coat over his head and ran out of the building. <laughs> Nobody ever knew who the banker was. <laughs> Ah. It was just so cool how 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 anonymous how anonymously he played that role. Um, Though yeah, the funny thing is, so is had had he not done that, no one would have known who he was, anyways. I'm sure he's just some that's dude, right? Like <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, the banker doesn't actually uh, calculate the offers uh, on the show. Right. In quotes, he's the guy who makes the number. But if you read the credits at the end, it does say the producers are in charge of all the bank offers. The, for sure. You know, the banker's just there for you know for. Dramatic effect. For, For sure. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Also, I got to tell Howie Mandel his shoe was untied. That was fun. You did that? Yeah. Well, okay. On commercial breaks, you know, usually when you go see a game show, the host would sometimes take questions from the audience or, you know, just kind of talk to everybody in the room while they're, you know, doing whatever they do during the commercial breaks. Howie Mandel would just go right. to the corner of the studio and just stand as far away from everyone as possible. Didn't say you know, a word to anyone. I am not surprised by that. They, this is the guy that doesn't want to shake hands. He like literally started the fist bump before the fist bump. With his, I, I've heard a lot of things about him being like really. Well, I know he's a germaphobe for one, but I think he's also like not a big fan of being a star. Um, I know. I, I, well, I don't. I say I know from what I understand. You know, he he used to be known for uh, uh, blowing up a glove on his head. Like a surgical glove. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In his in his act. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 And I I think it became like his trademark thing, and so people would ask him to do it all the time, and he just got so sick of being like, "Oh, hey, you're that guy. Do this thing," so that he like stays away from stardom. Out, out. Like it's a job for him, not a way to get famous. Is is makes my sense to me? Wouldn't you be sick of that? Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, 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 no, I don't. I disagree entirely. The way I feel about it is like, look, if that's what made you famous, sorry, dude, that's what you're going to do to make you famous. I, and what I equate it to is that there was a number of bands that were popular in the 1980s that I was on a 1980s radio station for in like the late 2000s. And we brought all these 80s acts in and. I don't know who it was. I, I don't remember the time. I don't know if it was Eddie Money or whoever it was. Came in and played. And they had they were really like a one or two hit wonder. And they played a couple of their songs. They played their biggest song. And it was great. And everybody melted. And it was amazing. And it was then the guy got up on stage and said, That was so good. Let's do it again. And they played the same song 
again. Oh man, I saw um who did that song in the 80s? The what uh oh 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 what is like it can only be better or something like that. I, I know I know who you're talking about. He, I just don't know who it he, is. He yeah. he opened up for uh Bare Naked Ladies a couple of years ago, played that song three times in a row. <laughs> It just comes down to, like, if that's what you're known for, like, that's what you play. But at the same time, like, I could see it getting to a point where it's like, yes, that's what I'm known for, but I don't want to be known for that. Like, that's just a thing we did. Dude, like, it's the same thing with... What, I saw Hall & Oates, and they played all of their songs, and then every time they would play, like, a new song off their new album, we didn't want to hear that. All we wanted to hear was Private Eyes, because that's why we paid the money to come to the show. I guess, I but by the same point, like, why why would you go see a show to see a band play one song? Why? What is the obsession with wanting to hear that one thing over and over again? Like, I, I'm, I especially when it comes to music, I think it's 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 twofold that way. I worked for the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, and one of the first groups we had come through there was Foster the People, and the only song they have is Pumped the one up about kicks. the yeah. And I'm like, and literally I watch 2000 people fold into the casino to watch this, this group. And I'm like, dudes, they have one song. It's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. It's one song. And actually it's not a bad song. I was going like to say, I kind of like that song, but I'm not saying it's awful, but I'm like, it's awful that you're coming in here and you're paying $40 a ticket and you're filling the room for one song. Yeah. Because everything else they played, nobody got it. I think that perception of fame really also comes down to the type of person you are. Or the type of person that celebrity is. And I think, you know, in the case of somebody like Howie Mandel, he's sort of gone on record uh, as saying that he's experienced levels of greed that he didn't think were possible as host of that show. You wow. know, he had people turn down two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars at a theoretical amount of money that may or may not be there. And, you know, he. He mentions it in a sort of joking way in a lot of interviews, but you have to wonder what kind of outlook is shaped by, from seeing interactions like that over and over and over again. It's sort of like, a really in a way, seeing the worst in people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christian, thank you for bringing us back to normality. I know. That oh, Lenny, hey, kinda listen. Kinda... <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you need a downer, you let me know. No, no, I feel like Mike and I may have gone off on a tangent there. So thank you for bringing us back. If you, if you ever need a tangent on 80s one-hit wonders, I can go for hours. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. How about a plug for Buzzer Blog? Of course. Buzzerblog.com, the number one game show. web, and, and this is really true. The number one game show website in the world, whether you're an industry insider, whether you're a casual fan, whether you're a diehard fanatic of game shows, whether you're looking for information on old shows, new shows, casting, contesting casting, host casting, anything relating to the world of unscripted television entertainment, buzzerblog.com is the place to go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. We'll see you again next week. I'll see you guys. Thanks so much. All right, once again, and I can't reiterate it enough, if you'd like to write in or you'd like to give us a question for Stump the Chump, we'd love to have it. Um, even if we have to add on to it, make it bigger, better, badder, whatever. Right. If you've got an idea for a question even, send it in, and we can ask Christian and try to stump him. Well, and the thing that was funny is that as uh, listener-submitted questions came in, I started to get worried because I was like, 
crap, like these people are going to come up with some really good questions and like we're going to start this segment off with something Christian and then it's not going to, like he's not going to build a reputation and right. clearly that has not happened. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm upping the call. Please give us difficult questions. We want to see him get something yeah. wrong for once. I was, you're right. I was very, very concerned that he was going to get like stumped in the first couple of weeks and we're going right. to be like, oh God, great. There goes our, our resident historian doesn't know squat. Right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. He really is a chump. <laughs> no, but he's not, though. And that's the Absolutely whole not. It's I great. was a chump for thinking that is what yeah. it is. Well, that's I mean, isn't that the nature of the game? Well, it is. And speaking of game or lack thereof, <laughs> it is almost time for us to go into gameplay. We'll take a quick break and we come back. We'll talk about the gameplay of our featured show Deal or No Deal. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mike. Unfortunately, we have to. All right. You've been listening to America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. That is the theme from Deal or No Deal, our featured show this week. What are we episode, Mike? Is this 27? 27, yeah, sure is. Hey, coming up on 30, we, you know, it'll be really interesting to see. Um, I think we'll have, what, three more episodes before the end of the year, so we probably will finish uh, the new year off with our 30th episode. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah. All right, speaking of pretty cool, let's talk about that really cool game show, Deal or No Deal. All right, well, so here's the deal. The gameplay, it's... Here's the deal. Oh, <laughs> my God. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, gosh. Okay. All right. Well, so uh, there's not a lot of gameplay here. And and to be perfectly honest, I or not, not to be perfectly honest, but to be fair, I don't think it presents itself in a way that indicates that there is more gameplay than there is right like i think it's self-aware that it's not much of a show and that it's relying purely on like um suspense more than anything else yeah i mean you, you yeah that's that's it really go ahead yeah no there uh so there's a single contestant just one person and they are presented with 26 individual cases at the start of the game they will each be brought out by their own gorgeous model who walks out and shows all 26 cases in this grand reveal with the dramatic music and all that. Um, there have been a few famous models over the years, um, notably Meghan Markle, as uh, Christian uh, said in the news segment. Right, right. Basically, just of these 26 cases and the 26 models that present them, the contestant chooses one single case. Each case is going to contain a cash value anywhere between one cent and one million dollars. Uh, sometimes there's more in special episodes. I say anywhere between. That's not necessarily true. There's not going to be like four hundred and thirty-two dollars. It's all you know, even amounts, obviously. Um, but in you know, one cent, one dollar, ten dollars, fifty dollars, upwards, all the way to a million that way. Sure. So again, the contestant chooses one single case. They set that one aside, and it is not open. The contestant does not know what is in their case, and that's the key to making this game work. Uh, after they choose their case. 
case, they go into the first round wherein they choose five more cases and those will be eliminated one at a time from the pool. So right. uh, you'll choose, say, uh, let's say what's in case 23, right? The model opens it up and reveals the value inside, therefore marking it off the board. Uh, the idea here being you want to open the low values in this round knocking them off the board and therefore increasing the likelihood that your case has potentially the top value, but at least a high amount, right? Right. You know, cause even if you win $10,000, that's still a lot of money. It's not the top prize, but still pretty good. Right. Um, sure. After those five cases are eliminated, the banker quote unquote, uh, who is really the supposedly the mastermind of the show, uh, they will call down to the stage. A little phone is on the podium that the contestant is playing at, and the host, Howie Mandel, will answer and speak to the banker. This is the titular deal or no deal. The banker will say, hey, contestant, I am going to give you X amount of dollars to stop playing. I don't want you to take that case. I don't want you to open up any more cases. I want you to take the money that I'm going to offer and just stop playing the game. Uh, obviously, the sort of storyline here is that the, it's the banker's money. They want the contestant to or win as little as possible and therefore will be making an offer that they think is fair enough to get the person to stop playing uh, but will be lower than what is in the case that they have chosen. So basically, the basically the, what the banker's doing is hedging the bet of the production's money to try to get the person to walk away with the smallest amount of potential prize money Correct. Correct. And so that's kind of the thing is the banker is really just an actor. They're not calling any shots. The producers are. Um, but they are like legitimate deals and they are based on it's as I understood it. And I'm really bad at math. So, you know, I don't want to try and dig in this too much. But basically, my understanding is that it is a, is a percentage of the amount of money in all remaining cases. Right. Yeah. So what would happen is, OK, so uh, let's 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 break it down to like five cases and they are uh, two, four, six, eight. Two, four, six, eight, and ten dollars. Okay, so if you pick one case away, and let's say you chose that, you know that, and that's going to be your case, and it's eight dollars, that leaves two, four, six, and ten. Correct. And you choose your next case, and it's six. So six goes away. So you're left with two, four, and ten. So that total amount of money that's left right now is sixteen dollars. Right. They could lose upwards of ten bucks. And they now know that you, so you could have 10 in there. So what they'll do is they'll take a 16 and they'll say, all right, let's make a deal of, you know, five bucks because we don't want to give away 10. Right. And eight's already gone. So if I do five bucks, I'm hedging my bet that the now the contestant's not going to have the 10 in the case. They're only going to take the five. And you're also assuming that you, you're hoping that, that you don't have the $2 case. And you're like, wow, I'll take the $5 case. So that's that's all it comes down to. It's, and it, they've, it, I'm sure it's a program that they've built where literally it's a spreadsheet. And as the, they're open, they type in the amount that they've got. And based on what all the money is, the percentage comes out and literally they know already to program it in. 100%. I think that is an accurate representation. Now, here's the only wrinkle in that, though, that I found interesting. Apparently, okay. there have been situations where the deal offered was more than 100% of the remaining cases. So in your example, the remaining cases were 16. So like right. theoretically, the offer could have been $20. And really? so, and I think the idea there is just to throw a curveball every once in a while to say it 
might behoove you to take a deal. And probably the reasoning for that is, is because nobody ever took the deal and nobody, there was no million dollar winner for a couple seasons. Um, right. So I think they did that later on maybe to make it uh, a little more enticing to take a deal and a little more uh, dramatic as opposed to like what your options are, right? We're going on the idea that it is always a lower percentage than everything added up then there's never a real reason. I mean, that's not really true, but you wouldn't necessarily want to take the deal because it's like, well, but there's there's more out there, right? The deal is never going to be the best option. And now with this wrinkle that theoretically the deal could be the best option, that's now another, um, I don't want to say strategy because there's no strategy here, but that's just another thing to consider when choosing how to proceed with the game. Right, but here's but here's the here's the the deal too. Okay, if you if the million dollar case and the one penny case are the only two left, and the deal comes down, and the dealer says, "I'll give you five thousand dollars," you may take the five thousand because you have a fifty fifty chance. You have a hundred percent chance of the five thousand and a fifty fifty chance of getting the million. Right, exactly. So that's that's the tough part. And I think the only time that they got millionaires, and I don't know this for absolute sure because I didn't read enough about it. Um, was when they had that that drive for the million or whatever it was, where they were literally like I think they added a million dollar case to every episode that didn't get a million dollars. So there was eventually three mil, one million dollar cases in the thing yes. before the yeah that is so. correct yeah. A- anyway, um, they also at some point, which I think was cool, uh, they offered prizes as opposed to. Uh, money as the offers. Yes, I did see that as well. So yeah, you can yeah, say like, I'll give you a couch cool. if you get out of here. But it wasn't just a couch. It was uh, tailored to the uh, contestants' interest. The one I read about was the guy was a big basketball fan. So right. they uh, offered up like a signed basketball and courtside season tickets or something like that. Um, which, <laughs> uh, if I were a contestant on that show as a collector of Dungeon Synth cassette tapes, it's going to be pretty hard for them to find a deal on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, in all honesty, you're better off taking the cash anyway, because you have to, um, you got to pay taxes on all that stuff. Right. Well, so then that's the question is if you get the cent, what is the tax on that? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Like, here's two shillings. Have a nice day. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so yeah, basically once they get the offer, they can either press this big red button and say, uh, I will take that money. They will forfeit their case. They'll not play the game anymore. And they'll just take home whatever money the person or the banker has offered them, or they can decline it. There is a little door on the button that they can shut and then they continue playing. Uh, if they choose to continue playing, they just continue rounds like they just did. But each time, uh, the amount of cases that you pick diminishes. So in other words, first round, you open five cases, next round, you open four, then three, so on and so forth. Sure. So this is going to continue until either the contestant bows out and takes the deal or there's two cases left. Once there's two cases left, uh, the banker will make one final deal and they can, you know, again, choose to accept or decline. If they turn it down, they are now presented with the option of switching their case for the last case remaining. Now this, I, when I was reading about it, this initially brought to mind the Monty Hall problem that we mentioned. That's exactly what I was I thinking. I don't yeah. think it's the same thing though. Yeah. Because in the Monty Hall problem, the prizes are absolute. Whereas in this one, they are relative, right? The donkey is relative to whatever is in your case, meaning Correct. you could have $10,000 and that's not a donkey. But then if you open up 
the million dollar case, it's like, oh, well, now all of a sudden you do kind of have the donkey, right? Right. So I don't think you can use the same logic in choosing whether or not to switch. And I, it hurts my brain to try and figure out if there is logic in switching on this one since there's so many variables. Sure. Personally, I would just stick with the one that I picked because, like, that's the one I picked. I'm sticking with that one. That's my boy, but, you know. It's gut yeah. feeling. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Go uh, and then once they make their final decision of which case they want, it is opened and they win that much money and the game is over. That is it. Do they open the case uh, if you decide to take the offer from the banker to see what they would have won? Uh, I believe they do, yeah. All right, well, that's it. Game yeah. point. Congratulations. Well, I will I will say, <laughs> as, as, as little gameplay as there is, we did talk an awful lot about how it works, but I think that's more just like mathematics and statistics and chance. Yeah, and, and the truth is it has a real appeal, and we'll talk more about that in the history, but th- this show has been all over the place and really been on for a long time. Yeah, and it did very, very well. I mean, you know, uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Sure. You know, but uh, I just I just don't see. I don't see it. <laughs> well, we'll talk more about it next. All right, we got the history coming up. You've been listening to America's favorite game show podcast, Tell Them What They've Won. Episode number 27, segment number three, the featured show this week, Deal or No Deal. Mike Jacobs, do you have some history for us? On I this do. One? I have a bit of history. So initially, and this is, I find this kind of interesting. This was initially uh, started as a Dutch game show. Uh, it was called huh. Hunt for Millions. Uh, well, Hunt for Millions? Yeah, what, whatever, however you say the words, Hunt for Millions in Dutch. Uh, I it's have the word. Something wor- that's, it's furniture at Ikea pronunciation. <laughs> it's, it's one single word, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it because I'll just butcher it. But uh, if Very any well. du- if any Dutch listeners want to write in and tell us how "hunt for millions" is said uh, in that language, <laughs> phonetically, please. Phonetically, phonetically yes, that's what I mean. Us. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I just find that interesting because typically the shows that we've talked about are either uh, American or British in origin. British. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just think the Dutch is a is a nice. Uh, change in pace of, of origin story for this one. Uh, but it was adapted for American television by Scott Jane, St. John and Howie Mandel. Uh, Howie Mandel has an executive producer credit. I don't really know how much he was involved in the show beyond maybe just providing money or, you know, who knows, but, right, right. uh, they are both credited as the, uh, developers and executive producers of the show. Uh, well, at least the American version, which, premiered on December 19th, 2005 on NBC. And of course, Howie Mandel was the host. Uh, and if I'm being perfectly honest, um, Howie Ma- Mandel is the only appeal of this show to me. I don't even think he's that great on it or as a host or anything. I just like him a lot. I was a big fan of Bobby's World. I think his stand-up's pretty good. Um, I don't know if you remember the movie with him and Fred Savage, Little Monsters, uh, of no relation to the current Little Monsters. But Yeah, no, I don't remember that. I do I do remember him as a comedian in the 80s, 90s, and I really enjoyed him. Um, there's just like a, there's like a cute wholesomeness to him that I really yeah, like. Yeah, but I don't, I don't like him as much now with the bald head and the I don't shake hands and the it's creepy. He's kind of gotten creepy. I mean, I, I guess I, you know, there's maybe a certain amount of what you could say is a disorder in there, you know, an OCD or something like that. Um, I don't want to fault him for, 
you know, things that may be out of his control. Yeah, um, by the way, that that's not why I, I'm just saying he's a little creepy. That's all I'm saying. Uh, well, I'm not saying people who have OCD are creepy. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, okay, fair. Uh, I will say uh, from a uh, physical presentation point of view, I am not a fan of the bald head and goatee look. <laughs> like if you want to look like a 1930s serials villain, then sure. But, you know. <laughs> and that comes from a guy who's got a bald head and a full beard. That is ap- accurate. And I look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, um, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, its first week, it did very, very well. It landed in the top 15 slot of ratings overall, which, you know, top 15 doesn't sound that great, I guess. But if you think 15 television shows out of everything that's out there, that's pretty darn good and is very promising for a brand new show. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it was it was kind of moving along. By March of 2006, it was airing twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays. Uh, but it was doing so well that they decided to add a third on Wednesday as well. Um and as a matter of fact, it did so well that this this blew my mind. Um, that year, 2006, it outperformed the NCAA basketball uh, finals in ratings. Uh, they really? did make it a special two-hour episode, so it was kind of like a big deal that was hyped up specifically to uh, compete against that. But right. And as a sports guy, I don't care about the NBA finals. Or, I'm sorry, NCAA finals. But uh, I do know what a big deal that is and what a huge pull it brings in uh so for a game show to beat that out is like wow well done on them yeah absolutely and it just kind of continued on like this really the the big change that they made uh, at one point they uh in the second season they changed that wednesday episode to thursday um in 2008 they started a syndicated version um also hosted by howie mandel i think christian touched on this that he didn't really want to at first or at least that they were considering other people uh he Mm -hmm. definitely did not want to i think christian mentioned that uh, arsenio hall was in contention not contention uh but also so was uh mark curry i don't know if you remember him but he was best known for his role on hanging with Mr. Cooper back in the day. <laughs> yes, I do remember. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, they were both uh, in consideration, but did not get picked. Uh, eventually, Howie did come in and do the syndicated version, which uh, also did very well. Um, you know, it wasn't like breaking records. It wasn't shattering expectations. It was just doing very well. Right. Um, and uh, it it kind of just continued along like this, not increasing, not decreasing, just maintaining the status quo. But then Dancing with the Stars, I think in their fourth season, they started doing an episode on Monday, and that was not great. Uh, you know, competing against Dancing with the Stars is tough, I guess. But in as far as I'm concerned, I don't see the appeal of that one either. So for me, it's kind of a toss-up of which one I'm going to watch. <laughs> I can't wait till we do that episode. That's going to be fun. Right, we will not be doing that show. Why not? It's a game show. It's I guess I just don't care. It's a game show. It's not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not arguing against that. Look, we have to do all the shows at some point. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. Fine. When it's you know 2033 and we've run out of game shows. <laughs> hey, Top Chef is coming, man. Be ready. <laughs> I feel like I've made that exact same joke before. Anyways. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they keep, you know, changing times here and there, slight adjustments to the rules, but nothing's really changing, uh, which I think ultimately was the problem. Um, after four seasons, they decided to end it. Um, 
the syndicated version continued for another season after that. But I think it was just that there, you know, after four seasons, that initial huge interest had sort of just plateaued and it just ran out of steam, right? I kind of feel like because there isn't all that much strategy to this and there's not a lot of gameplay, there's not a play along capability. Even though there's been there's been plenty of video game ma- shows of this made. I I just don't you're you're not wait, okay, I'm going to pick uh 23 and then you just wait and see what 23 ends up being. Right. Exactly. Well, and the thing is uh, so you could write a computer program that would play this game for you. Like there's no need for human interaction. It's just math and statistics. The only human interaction is greed. Correct. Which I guess is, you know, like I, that's why the show ended. I think is people after a while just got sick of watching people make poor decisions in the name of greed. Right. 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 Uh, one, one quick point that is not in our notes that I was just reminded because you talked about the video games. So mm-hmm. when the show initially started, the identity of the banker was like a big secret, right? Oh, they, he was, yeah. he was yeah. silhouetted. Nobody knew who he was. And Christian brought this up at, that, you know, when he was uh, in the audience, they, he like ran off with his face covered. And obviously it was like, had they known who it was, it wouldn't have mattered because it was just some actor anyways. Right. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, in the video game version, I believe for the original PlayStation, uh, he provides the voice of the banker and is credited in the video game by name. So while it was supposed to be this whole big secret, if anybody ever put those two things together, they would have figured out who it was while it was supposed to be a big secret. Yeah. I, I mean, I, at the end of the day, those are the early days of the IMDb and, you know, and, and nobody's really you know, Googling that like crazy, I don't think. I mean, it, although this has an appeal, I think there was kind of also the idea that it was fun to have a, you know, silhouetted character. Right. Well, and that's the thing to me is like the silhouetted character is fun and it doesn't matter who plays it. And it's not like at the end of the day, it's going to be like, oh my God, it's Tom Hanks. It's going to be like, no, it's Steven Yablonsky, some yeah. <laughs> random actor from Nowheresville, Michigan or something, you know? And I want to say I even saw this episode, but there was one episode where like somebody swore that it was um, Larry King. And so <laughs> the, the, the banker actually sent Larry King in with the offer, like the second offer, to prove that it wasn't Larry King who was the banker. Well, but now is this an Andy Kaufman sort of thing where someone else is playing Larry King? (laughs) I don't know. I I just don't know. No, it's not. It's not. We're giving this show way too much credit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are. Uh, But I will say when they brought in the second banker, uh, the female banker, uh, her identity was not really... I mean, obviously, it was still a silhouetted character, and in the scope of the show, you didn't know who the banker was, but there was much less effort on, like, keeping her identity a secret. Um, So anyways, yeah, four seasons it ran, ended in uh, the syndicated version for five, ending in 2010. And then uh, in 2018, uh, it comes back for a fifth season on CNBC. That's right, CNBC. Wow. Where game shows go to die. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, A, it's an NBC sister network, so, you know, they probably already had the rights. B, it's like a financial-themed channel, so I guess it kind of fits with that. Um, And they also used to run reruns of Deal or No Deal before that happened. So it wasn't like it was out of the blue. But, I mean, CNBC, like, you might as well just put it on C-SPAN. Who is watching that? Can we, can we say because people make poor financial decisions who watch CNBC, so maybe that's why you put the game on there as well. 
Uh, my apologies to anyone who works at or is a fan of CNBC. <laughs> Uh, goes, there goes our NBC affiliation, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, okay. uh, and uh, yeah, so of course GSN uh, right, doing reruns periodically. They've been doing that since the the start of the show, really, off and sure. on here and there. Uh, and now it even has its own channel on Pluto. So, I mean, whew, that has got to be a boring channel. How do you really feel, Mike? Uh, sorry. Again, apologies to the folks, the fine <laughs> folks at Pluto and their quality programming. I'm I, 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 I'm dogging this more than I need to. No, and in all fairness, you talk really good about Pluto on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's fun. It's 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 the best free TV you're going to get. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, I will say this, that I do kind of sort of see where an appeal could be on this on this game kind of because there is the whole idea of wow you know the lights the big lights the bright lights you know the beautiful women the big money you know so i see that kind of appeal to some folks out there personally none of it really appeals to me i think in in total Back in the day, I've seen maybe three episodes of this, and it it's because it just happened to be on. Right, I agree. Well, and I think three episodes here and there, it's fine, right? Like, there's, oh, yeah. there is suspense there. And I did find when I was watching it, I found myself, like trying to figure out what the the banker was going to offer and like, should I take it? What's the lowest amount I would take that sort of thing. So like, sure. you know, I think for the contestant, maybe it is a little more interesting than it is for the watcher. But like you said earlier, there's no, there's no play at home ability. And I, I just overall, I don't get the appeal of watching it more than just like, Oh, here's an episode of deal or no deal. Remember this? Let's watch it for a second. All right. Well, that being said, we should probably rate it. What do you think? A uh, suitcase? Yeah, yeah, let's give it a rating out of cases. All right, Mike, I'll let you go first. <sighs> okay, so uh, I want to preface this by saying that uh, I have said in the past, and Christian has has contested this, and we'll see what he can do. Uh, I don't think there are any zeros, um, and I think this show is the evidence that there are no zeros, uh, because this is basically, in my opinion, as close to a zero as you can get. The gameplay is essentially just a random number generator and that's it. Like, right. Did you win? Did you lose? Or how much money did you win? And, uh, to me, suspense is not gameplay. I don't care. It's not, I don't know. Just nothing about this show interests me in any regard. I am not giving it a zero because I like Howie Mandel. Um, you know, obviously there was a certain amount of appeal to it because it lasted for four seasons and came back for a fifth and has its own channel on Pluto. Um, like, gosh, like a 0 0.5, a one may, I'll give it one case. What 0 0.5 sounds like mean, right? One sounds like I don't like it. And so I'm going right. one. I think, uh, you know, Howie Mandel is fun. He does a good job on the show. Good enough job for what the show is, even though it's not really like my liking of Howie Mandel and my appreciation of his job as host on the show are completely unrelated well that was a really long way to go for a really bad really bad rating <laughs> yeah well i just i want to justify it because i do feel bad that i'm like really dogging on this show um yeah, yeah. but i you know I, I wanted to be known that it's like i i 
I'm not, I don't, don't want to tell anybody how to feel about the show. I want it, I want it to be known that I am justifying my reasoning for not liking it. Right. Not just being like, yeah, this show's garbage. You suck for not liking it. And, 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 and agreed that, you know, we, we here are not telling you what, whether to watch it or not. Like you have your own rating on this and that's fine. Yeah. But for us, it's not that big. I'm giving it a 1.25. And the reason is, is because 2.5 would be uh 50%. It'd be half. So I really feel this is like a quarter. And I will give it uh, the the idea that they do drama ties it up well. Um, it's it's produced extremely well. They it's very showy. It's glitzy. It's glamoury. So it has that redeeming qualities. I'm not crazy about Howie Mandel, but he does a good job. So it's like it, he's perfect for this, you know. Um, he's got a little comedy. He's got a little a little fun. He's got a little seriousness. I've even seen him uh, in one episode storm up into the office and give words to the banker because he didn't uh, yeah. like the offer, you know. So so to me, it's got a little bit of likability in that regard. I personally am not a fan, but that doesn't mean that it's a crappy game show. I'm just saying that my personal rating is 1.25 suitcases. That's fair. And you know what your explanation there just kind of made me think of something is that a lot of this show is interaction with the contestant. Like a lot of times the contestant is sort of telling their story and why they need the money and yada, yada, right. yada. And right. in that respect... Uh, it kind of reminds me of um, You Bet Your Life. You Bet Your Life. And I was just so, going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Howie Mandel sort of has that same role where he has to not only play game show host, but he kind of got to play talk show host a little bit. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I, I think that that sort of it ups my opinion of him, not of the show overall. I'm still sticking with a solid one. Sure. Okay. All right, Mike. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Yes, indeed it is. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, everyone at BuzzerBlock. Thank you, everyone who listens. And please, as we said before, send us more Stump the Chumps. Give us hard ones. We want to make Christian get something wrong. Finally, that would be really, really great for him to get something wrong. All right, tune in again next time. We'll bring you the latest and greatest in the world of game shows, as well as a brand new featured show, too. And uh, remember, you can always catch us online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, of course, tell them what they've won.com. Please subscribe, share, like, and drop a review if you like what you heard. And if you didn't like it, no deal. See you next week, Mike. Bye, Tom. You've been listening to America's favorite game show podcast. Tell them what they've won. A JTAC audio production. Copyright 2020. No part of this podcast may be reproduced by anyone without the express written consent of the creators. For more information or to contact us, please go to tellthemwhatthey'vewon.com. All right, Tom, what'd you learn this week? I learned that even after going down this rabbit hole with this show, I'm still not sure what the real appeal was at the time. Maybe we just wanted to see people open cases, you know, beautiful women open cases and people win lots of money. But man, this got some incredible ratings for her being a really run of the mill game show. I agree. It's it's all surface level glitz and glamour. I don't think there's anything yeah. there and I don't see the appeal. Well, how about we do a new show next week? Deal. Copyright 2020, a JTAC audio production.